Wholesaling Studios, powered by RumbleOn.com. Now, it's time to go deep for the exclusive info you need on the hockey team you love. This is Preds Insiders with your host, Ryan Porth. Brought to you by Cool Springs Laser Dentistry, Wyatt Johnson Ford, Gary Zire, Remax Elite, and Geno's East. On your flagship home of the Predators Radio Network, Smashville's best sports talk, ESPN 1025 The Game. Welcome into yet another edition of Preds Insiders here on ESPN 1025 The Game, streaming on the Game Nashville app. Ryan Porth alongside Adam Vinken of The Athletic. This evening, Adam, thanks as always for stopping by the studio. Ryan, always a pleasure. So, Saturday night, Panthers held a 2-0 lead after two periods of play. The Preds came back in the third period, tied it up at two goals apiece. The game goes to a shootout, and Vincent Trocek scores the lone goal of the shootout Saturday night to give the Florida Panthers a 3-2 victory at Bridgestone Arena. Adam, what was maybe your, your biggest takeaway from Saturday night's game? Well... Here's how I would describe the first two periods of the game, and I can't come up with the right word, so I'm just going to go with the sound effect. Mm. That's what I thought of the first two periods. Really, not much happened um, at the beginning of the game, but as the Predators have shown early this season, they're a very good third-period team. Two more goals to erase that 2-0 deficit uh, and to force overtime slash a shootout, get the point, which they weren't able to do in a similar situation against the Los Angeles Kings uh, about a week ago, a little more than a week ago on the first game of that road trip, down 4-1, entering the third period, tied the game, ended up giving a late goal, ended up giving up a late goal to lose in regulation. And it's, it's, it's uh, jarring is not the right word, but you know when you look at the goals scored by period for the Predators through eight games, they've scored four goals in the first period, nine goals in the second period, and 19 in the third period. The next closest teams, as we're, as we're sitting here, in terms of goals in the third period, are the Edmonton Oilers and Montreal Canadiens with 12 each. So the Predators are That's seven nuts. clear of the next team in terms of third period goal scoring. And what we've seen in multiple games this season, you know, I think of the game against LA that I referenced, even though they lost, I think of the game against Washington, I think about the game against Florida, is that no deficit seems too much to overcome or at least, or at least, you know, surmount mm-hmm. and tie the game, um, which is a good thing. Um, but it's, you don't want to get into the position yes, where you, you are in that deficit. Exactly. You, it's living dangerously yeah. um, to be put yourself in that situation regularly but it speaks to the predators resolve in the offense that they have well and that they're able to do that and, and last season we didn't see that resolve no. all that often this is something that i harped on last week i believe it was last monday's show with chase mccabe is that last last season we didn't see that much resolve out of this preds team outside of the last two games of the regular season against vancouver and chicago in which they came back and won those games that they needed to win to win the central division Two years ago, though, in the President's Trophy winning season, they did show a bunch of resolve, a bunch of different nights, especially in the second half of that season when they went on that long point streak, I believe it was 15 games. Mm-hmm. And they did pull out a lot of games that they probably didn't have much business winning. Mm-hmm. And they have already shown that kind of resolve here in October. I think that's a good thing that that can only do them good as this season goes along when they do get down in a game, is that belief that they can come back and win. But you don't want to do it every single night. No. And they've been doing it 
now almost every single almost night. every single night they they had to come back against Vegas after being down two one right after the first period despite scoring the first goal of that game they had to play from behind against Arizona and then again against Florida this is a trend that they would like to buck moving forward they haven't trailed as much during the season I looked it up I think after but during the Arizona game so there have been two games added since then but you know at the time they had trailed through six games I think for. 105 minutes of the 360 minutes they had played, which to me actually seemed less than what I expected. It it felt like they had trailed games more often than that or for longer stretches than that, but they haven't trailed on the clock as much as I would have expected just based on, on the situations that we've been talking about. But you're right. It is a good thing that the Predators have been able to show that Despite being down by multiple goals, they can tie the game, you know, with with relative ease. It seems like sometimes, um, but you know, it is a dangerous proposition because, as we know, winning percentages when you're giving up the first goal or trailing after the first period or second period are not very high. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, the less the Predators can do that, the better. But as we, as you and I talked about many times last season, and and I. You know, I kept on going back to the idea that last year's Predators team didn't have it, quote unquote. I feel like this team does have it or more it than last year's team did mm-hmm. early on in the season, which is good. So they are now 4-3-1 and one through eight games. Roman Yossi and Kyle Turris scoring the third period goals to tie the game. We are going to get to Kyle Turris here in a little bit, but Adam... Do you feel like this team is just kind of working through the kinks right now? They've only played eight games. There there have been some offensive changes, some defensive changes, even though there wasn't a large quantity of changes in the offseason. Do you feel like Peter Laviolette and the assistant coaches and this roster right now are kind of working through some of the kinks that you normally work through early in a season? Yeah, I think that happens with a lot of teams. Um, and and even though there wasn't a lot of turnover on this Predators team, they did make you know two significant changes. Yeah, um, removing PK Subban and adding Matt Duchesne. So there are some uh, kinks to iron out, as you say. Um, and I, I think I think we're starting to see you know the signs of the Predators getting into that groove. Um, the offense certainly seems to be there. Um, the defense is what's been problematic uh, so far this season. Now, you know, Pecorine and UC Soros have not been as strong to open the season as we're accustomed to, to accustomed to seeing them, which makes those defensive woes look worse when you look at the goals against. Um, but, you know, I, I do believe that once the Predators can smooth out their defensive issues as long as their offense continues to be potent, this team's in a good position. So I really think it's more on what's happening on the defensive side of the ice than the offensive side of the ice um, that needs to be worked through. But once that gets fixed, I think they'll be in good shape. I know they've only scored three goals in the last two games without Philip Forsberg, but do you feel like, or no, excuse me, four goals in the last two games. They did get a second one in in Arizona, but do you... is this offense better to you than you would expect it coming into the season? Yes. Uh, I definitely would not. I mean, I expected them to be good 
I definitely did not expect to see them score as many goals as they have. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but how many times have they scored at least five goals in the game this season already? I would have to look that up really quick. Well, you looked that up. You know, I think of I think it was after the Washington game. I asked Matthias Ekholm if if this was the best or most prolific offense that he's been a part of as a member of this team. And without hesitation, he said yes. And to paraphrase, the reason why is because of how quickly they're able to click offensively, how quickly they're able to turn the tide offensively. Um, it looks like you have the number ready. Yes, four or five goal games. Four or five goals. So they've scored five goals in half, at least in half, well, in in half of their games. Correct. Not in at least half. Because yes. Four, half of eight is four. That's your math lesson for the day. Um, <laughs> thank you, Adam. Yes. No, thank you. But Matthias Ekholm, back to what he was saying, it's just the ability to seize momentum very quickly, the balance that they have on their lines, you know, puts them in position to be able uh, to score a lot of goals. Um, so... Did I think it would be as prolific as it has been? No, but I expected to see an increase in goal scoring from forwards with the addition of Matt Duchesne, just because, A, he's a goal scorer in his own right, but his presence at even strength and on the power play provides more opportunities for other forwards to score as well. Um, So um, that's a long-winded way of saying Mm. I'm Slightly surprised by how good they've been on offense, but not totally surprised. What about the power play specifically? They got another one Saturday night. That I I am more surprised about just because I expected an improvement because as I've been saying uh, throughout the season, their power play has to get better because it couldn't get any worse. Um, That I'm more surprised by just because I thought it might take a little bit longer. We talked about working out the kinks especially that top unit with Duchesne, Yossi, Johansson, Forsberg, and Arvidsson when everybody is healthy. Mm-hmm. Now, right from the jump, they've been really good. And I don't want to give Matt Duchesne all the credit for that, but I'd like to give him a lot of credit just because his presence on that power play, being that left shot on the goal line, it just opens up so many things for the for that power play unit. It's changed the dynamic of it. And I really like and one thing I like most about it is that it has removed Victor Arvidsson from having to be the net front guy. I mean, he's still going to crash the net and hunt for rebounds, but now he can at least shoot the puck more from the slot as opposed to just being the screener and 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 dealing it with it that way because on the power play before this season, you know, he was very unproductive score sheet wise on the power play just because the offense wasn't really running through him it was just hey he jump up and screen the goaltender and if he deflected the shot in or got a rebound that was great but other than that he really wasn't involved in the flow of the power play now he is and now you have Matthew Shane who can also crash the net and hunt for rebounds and either set up Ryan Johansson on the half wall to set up Philip Forsberg in the left circle I really do think that Matthew Shane has unlocked this power play that plus Dan Lambert's modernized approach to the power play has led to the success that they've had. So the Preds fall Saturday night, 3-2 in a shootout against the Florida Panthers. They'll be back at it tomorrow night at home against the Anaheim Ducks. Pre-game at 6, puck drop at 7. All the action heard right here at ESPN 1025. The game coming up next, Adam wrote about Kyle Turris earlier today, and Kyle Turris scored his third goal of this young season Saturday night. A nice one at that. What does a revitalized Kyle Turris do 
for this offense. We'll get into that next. He's Adam Fingen of The Athletic. I'm Ryan Porth. You're listening to Preds Insiders, ESPN 1025, the game streaming on the Game National app. 50 seconds remain of the power play. Predators have yet to garner a shot on net during this advantage. Turris takes the puck in. His oh. He scores! Up off the shoulder. Ties the game on the power play. The call you heard there, Pete Weber and Hal Gill for the Fifth Third Bank Nashville Predators Radio Network. Saturday night as Kyle Turris scored a beauty on the power play to tie it up 2-2. The Preds fall to the Florida Panthers 3-2 in a shootout. Ryan Porth, Adam Vingan here with you on Preds Insiders, ESPN 1025 The Game. Adam, that was a really nice goal from Kyle Turris. Yes, it was. Which kind of put the cherry on top of the first eight games that have been really impressive for Kyle Turris considering where he left off last season, where... Mm -hmm. You didn't really know what his role was going to be on this roster going in, into the offseason. You didn't really know night to night, especially in the last month of the regular season, what line he was going to be on on a given night. He gets an opportunity in the top six Saturday night, logs a season high of ice time over 18 minutes uh, Saturday night and scores that beauty on the power play. What? And I know you wrote about this at The Athletic earlier today. What does a revitalized tourist do for this team? Well, I think you just saw it, or heard it, rather. Um, <laughs> you saw it on Saturday. You heard it just now. Yeah. Um, it really, we talked about the the offense uh, during the first segment, and you know, having Kyle Turris with six points in eight games, including three goals, you know, that, that really plays a factor into it. And the story I wrote, which you referenced, the, the headline, uh, reading, the Predators need to give a revitalized Kyle Turris a fair shake. Now, if it wasn't for Philip Forsberg getting hurt, Kyle Turris wouldn't have been in the top six. It was the first opportunity he's had to be in the top six. And if you're going by ice time before Saturday's game, he was clearly the fourth line center on this team. Even strength ice time per game before Saturday's game. Matt Duchesne, 14-12. Ryan Johansson, 12-29. Nick Bonino, 11-46. This is per game. Kyle Turris, 10.31. For an overall ice time for Kyle Turris, 12.41 before the game the other night, which, as you mentioned, he had a season-high 18 minutes, 11 seconds of ice time, which was a season-high by more than three minutes. And even after that, he's still averaging 13 minutes and 22 seconds per game, which is his lowest total since the 2010-11 season, which was his second full season in the NHL with the then-Phoenix Coyotes. So, you know, I wrote in the story that ever since Peter Laviolette scratched Kyle Turris for two games in March last season, that their relationship has the feeling of an uneasy marriage. I asked Peter Laviolette before Saturday's game how receptive Kyle Turris has been to the amount of ice time he's been receiving. And Peter was, this is what Peter said in part, quote, I haven't had any conversations about it with him, which kind of struck me as odd. I would think that the head coach would talk to a veteran 30-year-old player making $6 million a year about how he has the most diminished role since the beginning of his career. Mm-hmm. And then I followed up by asking Peter if he was going if he is putting Kyle in the best position to succeed in his role. Peter responded by asking me what role would that be? I said technically fourth line center. He goes and he said, "Quote, you're putting numbers on it." We listed as third, we listed as second, we listed as fourth. The numbers have to go somewhere. They don't mean anything, end quote. I disagree with that completely. They do mean something. 
know, before Kyle Turris played on the second line or the first line, whichever number you want to give it, with Matt Duchesne and Mikhail Granlund on Saturday, Kyle Turris is clearly this team's fourth line center. And he's too good. He's shown to be too good this season to be playing such a diminished role. Mm-hmm. Um, I do believe he deserves more than what he's been getting. Um, when he played on Saturday night, an interesting thing was that he played center and Matt Duchesne played right wing, which he has done before, but I don't think he prefers to do. I think preferably Matt Duchesne is at center, which means Kyle Turris's only chance of being in the top six is on the left wing with Ryan Johansson and Victor Arvidsson, which they tried during the preseason, but then ultimately scrapped. But when Philip Forsberg comes back, you assume he goes back with Duchesne and Graylin because they've been really good. 100%. I, I would like to see the Predators give Kyle Turris another chance with Ryan Johansson and Victor Arvidsson. With respect to Callie Yarncroke, who has been fine in that role, but Kyle Turris's game is more suited for that position than Callie Yarncroke, in my opinion. So as I said, I would like to see the Predators give Kyle Turris a fair shake while he's still here and while he's willing to make it work and while he's playing so well. Well, and you noted in your story, too, about how Bob McKenzie said on TSN last week that the situation with Kyle Turris is worth monitoring in terms of a possible trade. Now, Pierre Lebrun followed that up by saying that he believes it's a long shot that Turris moves in season. Uh, I th- I agree with Bob McKenzie in the words that he said in the fact that it's a situation worth monitoring because of everything that you just laid out there. Because of what he is providing right now, whether it's a second-line center, second-line wing, first-line wing, fourth-line center, second power play unit, whatever role that Kyle Turris has been in this season, he has excelled at a lot higher level than what he did last regular season. Mm -hmm. And to your point, I agree with you, that deserves, Kyle Turris, because of that, deserves a larger role than just, 10 to 12 minutes a night and being stuck on the fourth line. The interesting it's a the interesting situation that the Predators find themselves in is if Kyle Turris is playing so well, his value which was non-existent last season, trade value is now higher than it's probably been in a very long time. Definitely higher than it's been in a very long time. So if you're the Predators, do you want to take advantage of take advantage of that by being able to trade him if that were to come up and maybe, like with the P.K. Subban trade, find someone who sees how well Kyle is playing and be willing to take on his whole salary because the Predators have never retained salary in a trade and it would really help them considering what's to come with other contracts to get his entire cap hit off of their sal- off of their books. But why would you want to trade Kyle Turris when he's playing as well as he is right now? Mm-hmm. Especially because you're not going to get equal value back because he's still a 30-year-old player with five years left on the contract that pays him $6 million a year. So while he is more valuable to the Predators on the trade market than he was this summer when they could not trade him, you would be weakening your team again by trading him. I mean, what, what, would, you want it, what would you get in return? Uh, I think if you're going to trade Kyle Turris in season, it would have to be some someone that can help rectify the blue line if the blue line continues to struggle with consistency. Right, but you don't want to trade him for an, you know, an older veteran. True. I mean, this know. is already the oldest team yes. in the National Hockey League, which kind of surprised me. It did surprise when, me too when, when I those when numbers I dug came in, out. When yeah. I dug into it, yeah. yeah. I mean, I know that 
Dan Hamhuis and Pecorine are the outliers and skew that. But you know, the amazing thing to me when I when I did the research for that article is they only have one player on the roster who's under twenty four, and that's Dante Fabro. You know, on the other end of the spectrum, the Colorado Avalanche, who are off to a fantastic start at a different stage in their Stanley Cup contention window, quote unquote, have eleven players under the age of twenty four. You know, the Predators are a team that's they're a prime team, and that's why that quote unquote window is not as big as we would think, just because of how old their top players are getting. But back to what we were saying about Kyle Turris, it really is a catch twenty two because this is, if you, you want to strike while the iron is hot and try to find a taker, now might be the time. But, you know, as Pierre wrote, it's a long shot that it happens in season because I, I, I think that Kyle Turris wants to make this work in Nashville. He signed long term. His family loves it here. You know, I think he enjoys it here, even if, you know, even if his role isn't what it is. And even if he's, you know, it has a difference of opinion with Peter Laviolette, I think he's committed to making it work here as long as possible. But, I think the Predators would be coming out on the wrong end of a trade if they were to trade Kyle Turris right now, just because he has been such a help. Um, you know, take advantage of that while you still can. You can stomach the cap hit when he's playing like this. That's why you signed him to that cap hit so that he could play like this, albeit in a higher role in the lineup. But six points in eight games, that's pretty darn good. So they should ride it out while they can. Um, they, I mean, tough decisions are going to have to be made in order to get this team under the cap with Roman Yossi when that contract is signed. You know, it doesn't have to be Kyle Turris who is on his way out. But it really is an interesting situation that, you know, as, you know, not to, to you know, parrot Bob McKenzie, it is worth monitoring, not from a trade perspective necessarily, but also how they just use him, it, mm-hmm. especially as he's playing well. Coming up next, we'll discuss the domino effect of Philip Forsberg's injury. He did not practice earlier today we'll get adam to discuss that plus i have an idea as it pertains to overtime and the shootout that i tweeted out saturday night that i want to get adam's thought on as well that's all coming up next on preds insiders ryan porth alongside adam vingan of the athletic you're listening to espn 1025 the game streaming on the game national app welcome back into the show as always, Preds Insiders brought to you by Cool Springs Laser Dentistry. For all your dental needs, visit kellyerice.com. Also sponsored by Nashville's number one Ford dealer, Wyatt Johnson Ford. Carrie Zire, REMAX Elite. Geno's East on the corner of 3rd Avenue and Korean Veterans Boulevard downtown. Ryan Porth and Adam Vingan of The Athletic here with you. Another edition of Preds Insiders here on ESPN 1025 The Game. Adam the last couple games, the Preds have been without Philip Forsberg. He is day-to-day with a lower body injury. He left early in the Vegas game last Tuesday night, missed the final nine minutes and, and change of that game Tuesday night. And the offense, at least production-wise, has taken a hit. Four goals in the last two games after lighting the world on fire in the first six games with four of those games being five goals or more. Philip Forsberg did not practice today. We do not know his status for tomorrow night's game against the Anaheim Ducks. And unfortunately for the Preds and Philip Forsberg, him being on the the sideline, I guess you could say, being out of the lineup has become a little bit of the norm in the last few seasons where he has missed chunks of time. This one doesn't appear to be as serious as the previous ones, but it is concerning that 
this early in the season, Philip Forsberg has sustained another injury, and there has been a domino effect of not having him in the lineup, which should be the case because he is such a prolific scorer. Yeah, and when you think back to his first three full NHL seasons, he played in every game in 14-15, 15-16, and 16-17. Now, he missed about a month each of the past two seasons and a couple of games now. He did not practice today. Um, he was in the building, though. He signed roughly 100 bobbleheads of his likeness. Mm. Uh, I would say he was in good spirits, but you know, signing your autograph 100 times in a row on the bobbleheads probably isn't much fun. Well, it is Philip Forsberg bobblehead night, Halloween yes. night against Calgary. So uh, he seemed to be fine. Um, so take that for what it's worth, which is probably not a lot. Um, but I think the more concerning thing is just when those injuries have occurred, how he's been playing at the time of the injury. We, you know, This was the best start to a season in his career, the way he was playing through five, six games. Last season when he was hurt, I, I tweeted this out before the Arizona game. Last season when he was hurt, he had 14 goals and 22 points in 26 games. Two seasons ago, he had 15 goals and 34 points in 37 games when he was hurt. So the opportunity to have these big seasons were uh, lost by injury. Well, what I would be interested in is what are his numbers post-injury? Well, because it does we'll feel like that. he slows down post-injury we'll when he comes back look. after a very successful stint before the injuries that he has uh, suffered. And, I mean, he opened the season with a point in every game. Yeah, longest this, this season. season opening point streak in Predators history. Um, so I, it doesn't appear that the injury is going to be as long as the other ones were, where he missed, you know, five, six weeks a month. And, and he wasn't placed on injured reserve. He has not been placed on injured reserve. And, which and they, is positive. And they, uh, perhaps just because they weren't playing again until Tuesday, but they did uh, reassign Yakov Trenin to the American Hockey League on Sunday. They kept Mika Salamaki around, which gives them 12 forwards. So perhaps Philip might be closer uh, to coming back um, unless they were to recall somebody tomorrow morning, which is a possibility. But the fact that they sent Trenton back, I think, bodes well for Philip's status in the next couple of games. So I, I, my sense is that it's not anything serious. Um, but it's never good to not have him in the lineup. So 3-2 shootout loss Saturday night. And I tweeted this out the moment... Aaron Ekblad committed the penalty late in overtime. Forget how much time was left on the clock. It was less than a minute left in in overtime, I do believe. Yes, 35 seconds left in overtime. Aaron Ekblad called for a hook. So I've had this thought, and I had finally tweeted it out because it came to mind in the moment, is I feel like if a player takes a penalty with less than two minutes left in overtime, that player should be disqualified from participating in the shootout. That is a rule that I feel like the NHL should adopt. Now, Aaron Eckblad did not partake in the shootout for the Florida Panthers, but I feel like that's a rule the NHL should adopt. I like it. You like that? Yeah, I think that's reasonable. I do think that if if a goal isn't scored, of course, and a shootout is required and there's still time on the penalty, there should still be some residual discipline. Yeah. So... I, I like that. I, I agree with you on that. I could get behind that. So, 
for instance, if it's Vincent Trocheck or let's use the Washington Capitals as a, as example, if Evgeny Kuznetsov commits a, a penalty, that severely hurts the Capitals' chances in the shootout, right? Yes. I don't know. Maybe severe is too harsh on yes. that, but it does affect the Capitals' ability to win that shootout. Yes. And it's almost like if you take a penalty late in overtime, there's very little consequence with that. I mean, the Predators didn't really have a, a good opportunity in those last 35 seconds. So Aaron Eckblad committing that penalty with 35 seconds left in overtime didn't really have an effect on the game. Whereas if it's a player that could be a prime oper- a, a prime player for the shootout, then it really is affecting your team in a, in a much larger way. Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting idea. Um, the other one that just randomly popped into my mind is that if a player's in the penalty box, that the team on the power play gets an extra shot in the shootout. That hmm. might be a little bit too much. Your idea is probably better, but let's just say... You know the Predators need to score to win, and they and they don't. They should get another opportunity because of the penalty. They should get two chances in the bottom of the ninth, so to speak. Uh, again, very unlikely. Uh, now, someone tweeted in. His, his name is Taylor. Someone tweeted in Saturday night as I tweeted that out, saying, "I think overtime should just continue until the penalty has expired." Hmm. That's interesting. Sort of like stoppage time in soccer. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe. I could get behind that one as well. I still think your idea is the best one. I think that it's. I think it's the easiest one to implement, where it's just, hey, Aaron Eckblad. Not that they were going to use him in the shootout anyway, but if you were thinking about being used in the shootout, it's not happening. I think yours is the simplest. If if these if all three of these rules changes were brought to the NHL, I think yours would be the likeliest to be approved. Okay. Does that mean I can be commissioner of the National Hockey League? Yes. You can be anything you set your mind to. That's what I always learned as a child. How do you think I would compare to Gary Bettman? Uh, I guess you can't get much worse. No, Gary, no, Gary Bettman has back, you know, for all of his for his for his flaws and he has he has some. I mean, I think he's been a fine commissioner. I mean, yeah. you know, lockouts aside which aren't great. I've always thought that Gary Bettman is unfairly booed the amount that he gets booed. Wherever, whatever building he goes to, he gets booed. Now, that's consistent with most commissioners in sports. Yes. Anytime Roger Goodell gets in front of a camera with fans around, he gets booed. But, I think Adam Silver is the, like the lone, maybe the lone commissioner that doesn't get true. booed. But and is, I don't know much about Rob Manfred to have an idea of whether or not he gets booed if he's ever in, really in public. This is true. But Gary Bettman... It is uncanny every time that he brings out a Stanley Cup or every time that he speaks in front of a crowd, he gets booed. It's a bit now, though. Like it's he's in on the joke. You know, it's like almost like a wrestling, like a professional wrestling thing. Because I have to shoehorn a pro wrestling reference into every show. There you go. Um, I'm sure Chase is appreciative of it. Um, you know, he's a, he's a great heel. He knows he knows how to get the heat. He knows how to get the fans to hate him. You know, I think. You know, he goes onto the stage at the draft and they boo him and he's like, you can do better than that. You know, <laughs> like he's, he eggs them on. He, you know, it's but, you know, there are certain markets where maybe the booing isn't as uh, vociferous. I don't know if that's the word I'm looking for. 
I'll look it up afterwards. Um, your, your vocabulary, uh, vocabulary. I mean, my, my there, vocabulary. There you your, your vocabulary is much deeper than mine. Yes, than mine vociferous is. is the right word. Okay, to Good. mean ve- vehement or clamorous. Good job, Adam. Okay, vocabulary. Anyway, that is the word I'm looking yes. for. Yes. Anyway, especially here. I mean, Gary Bettman has meant a lot to the to the city of Nashville. He has. So, I think people here who boo him, I think it's just for fun. Like, and I think he understands that too. But I mean, I. I People, people in Nashville who care about hockey should care about Gary Bettman because he's done a lot. Coming up next, Elliot Friedman has started a weekly appearance on Darren Donick and Chase weekdays, ten to two, ESPN one hundred The game. Elliot Friedman has started a weekly visit with them Thursdays at one p.m. He had some interesting comments last week about Roman Yossi, and we will get Adam's thoughts on that coming up next. He's Adam Vinkin of the Athletic. I'm Ryan Porth. You are listening to Preds Insiders. On ESPN, 102.5 The Game, streaming on the Game National app. Welcome back in, Preds Insiders, ESPN, 102.5 The Game, streaming on the Game National app. Ryan Porth alongside Adam Finken of The Athletic. Tomorrow night, the Preds take on the Anaheim Ducks at Bridgestone Arena, pregame at 6, puck drop at 7. All the action heard right here on your home of Smashville, ESPN, 102.5 The Game. Adam, last week... Elliot Friedman of Sportsnet made his season debut with Darren Donick and Chase. Thursdays at 1 p.m. will be your opportunity to hear Elliot Friedman all season long. And you'll have an opportunity to win Preds tickets every Thursday at 1 with that visit from Elliot Friedman as well. So Elliot Friedman comes on and is expectedly asked about Roman Yossi. Roman Yossi, in the final year of his contract, Elliot Friedman reported within the last couple weeks, saying that the contract extension negotiations have, quote, hit a snag. Now, he was asked about Roman Yossi, still expects him to be signed uh, at some point, probably this season, but he did throw in a little bit of a nugget that I hinted with Jeremy K. Gover a couple weeks ago, saying that maybe this is one of the reasons why it hit a snag. Elliot Friedman on Roman Yossi and a little wrinkle that could be having effect. The one thing I had heard in the summer, because I had heard guys that there was momentum in the summer and it kind of stalled around the time where, you know, Yossi, he got married and he went on his honeymoon. And, you know, I think that just kind of was a natural hitch in the whole process. But what I had heard in the summer was that the Predators had made it clear that they knew that this was... A, a, a different situation that, you know, he was their captain. Their, things were changing in the NHL in terms of some of the things that had been happening. And they recognized that they were probably going to have to do things that they hadn't done in the past and they understood it. So I would assume that um, he's going to get some sort of no trade protection or, or protection, maybe for I don't know the begin. I don't know if it'll be more for the beginning than the end, but I I think that there was I don't know the exact ins and outs of it, but I do believe they were understanding or willing to give some protection for certain parts of the contract that were more than they usually did. I think everybody recognized that this was a unique situation with a unique player in the history of the team. That was Elliot Friedman of Sportsnet commenting on Roman Yossi last Thursday with Darren Donick and Chase. Adam, what goes through your mind when you hear what Elliot Friedman had to say there about a possible no-trade, no-movement clause 
being added to Yossi's contract when David Poyle doesn't like handing those out. I think everything that Elliot just said um, is reasonable, at least when you're considerate from Roman Yossi's standpoint and his agent's standpoint. I mean, my understanding is, is similar to Elliot's, um, that you know, Roman Yossi is a special case for this team as the captain, you know, as one of the uh, elite offensive defensemen in the NHL. And you saw it with the Predators' contract with Matt Duchesne. He had two things in, in that contract that, as we've talked about, David Poyle typically doesn't like to do. One, of course, is the trade protection, which Matt Duchesne has a modified or limited or whatever uh, trade protection clause in the final three years of his seven-year contract. He also has signing bonus money, which the Predators don't tend to do, but is a very popular uh, way for teams to uh, structure contracts nowadays where most of the salary is paid up front in signing bonus money and the base salary is very small. You know, I imagine that Roman Yossi is going to get both of those things. Uh, when you think about the trade protection, I have to imagine it's going to be more restrictive than Matthew Shane's. I'm not sure it will be a full no move or full no trade, but I imagine it will be as close as it can get at the very least. And in terms of the annual average value, I think it, I think Elliot also said this, that it's hard to imagine it not starting with a nine, which has been my sense as well. No, Roman Yossi on the open market is an eight figure salary a year player. That's at least $10 million a year. Mm Mm-hmm. With the Predators, when you consider, of course, the things that the Predators like to trumpet, there are no state income tax, all of those, all of those things. You know, they can they will they can pay him less, and he can get more bang for his buck. And I also just never got the sense that Roman Yossi wants to be anywhere else but here. So I agree with Elliot that it's going to get done eventually. I never got the sense during the summertime it was going to be done before training camp. Um, am I surprised it's still not done? Maybe a little. Um, I think if we get too close to the new year and it's still not done, maybe then that my antenna will go up. Um, but, uh, you know, this contract is very important. Um, and there are risks involved. I mean, Roman Yossi is going to be 30 years old when this contract starts. He has a history of concussions. Um, he should age uh, better than other defensemen in in his in his realm because of how fleet of foot he is and mm-hmm. how and how good of a player he is and how smart of a player he is um but he's not a physical player so right. the body you know won't break down as much you would think it's not like Shea Weber i mean Shea right. Weber is already breaking down right. with a lot of injuries here in the last few years where Roman Yossi yes he did have some of those concussion issues earlier in his career. Right. But for the most part, Roman Yossi has been a really healthy and durable player here in the last few years as his stature has, has risen in this organization. And as this, as this continues to go on and, and I've heard this at various points, and I even heard it with the Ryan Ellis contract last summer, um, that after what happened with Ryan Suter, you know, the idea that David Poyle is not going to allow something like that to happen again. And if he can't get 
Roman Yossi or if he couldn't get Ryan Ellis under contract that he was going to trade them. Now, you were here for that, Ryan. I wasn't. But just from people talking to people who were here, I don't think you can compare the Ryan Suter situation to the Roman Yossi situation or to the Ryan Ellis situation because I think Ryan Ellis and Roman Yossi made it known publicly and privately that they want to be here more than Ryan Suter did when he ultimately left to sign with Minnesota. For sure. So I understand the viewpoint, the idea that you know, if Ryan, excuse me, if Roman Yossi isn't under contract by a certain period of time, you can't let him walk for nothing. But you know, I, I don't think it's going to get to that point where you have to worry about. That. Uh, I, I don't think so either. But that is within the realm of possibility here. Let's say they remain far enough apart, whether it's term. Well, well I would assume the Preds. It's going to be eight term years. Term is, is I'm, I'm almost certain it's going to be eight years. The least amount of worry in this negotiation. But when it comes to money, when it comes to any sort of uh, trade protection, kind of feel like if they are so far apart that this could go on for a lot of the season. Now, the interesting dynamic of this is what would David Poyle do if we get to the All-Star break and there's still not a trade or or still not an extension signed, then does a trade become a possibility? I would be floored if it ever got to that point with this player and this team, considering he is one of the faces of the franchise and... He's the captain. I mean, he is. He's. They've traded captains before. I know they have, but he is a vital, vital piece of what they're doing. And you know, David Poyle would not want to give up both PK Subban and Roman Yossi in a span of less than twelve months. Yeah, and think about that defense. If you remove Roman Yossi from it, it's. I mean, Ryan Ellis and Batista Eichholm are great defensemen, but it takes a significant hit. And and that's the thing that you have to wonder is you know sometimes teams go into situations with players under you know with who are on expiring contracts as own rentals quote unquote where instead of instead of trading them at the deadline you hold on to them and you know like Artemi Panarin for example you know and Sergei Bobrovsky you can consider them last year as own rentals because the Blue Jackets decided not to trade them figuring that they were probably going to leave in the offseason anyway as they did but Hey, we're going for it. So we're going to keep them around and we'll just take that risk. I can't imagine a trade that the Predators make with Roman Yossi that makes this team better, especially when you consider where, you know, where this team is probably going to be at the at the trade deadline in mm-hmm. February. Like, do you want to significantly handicap your chances of winning a Stanley Cup by trading Roman Yossi? I mean, if 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 I mean again, I agree with you. I don't think we're going to get to this point where this is going to become feasible. Not even close. So, I mean, we're all we're, we're talking in hypotheticals here, but you know, when Roman Yossi signs and he's going to sign eventually, I believe. I mean, it, there is a lot of risk in the contract. I mean, you think about some of you think about some of the contracts they have on their books right now. I mean, you have Ryan Johansson signed until his early 30s. You have Matt Duchesne signed until his mid 30s. You have Ryan Ellis signed until his late 30s. You know, 35, 36, right? Mm-hmm. And you're going to have Roman Yossi presumably under contract until he's close to 40. You know, there's a risk involved in this. And, but, and not only that, but the no trade clause that Elliot Friedman brought up right. as it might be a likelihood that it is in this extension. And what kind of precedent does that set 
for potential extensions for Philip Forsberg and Matthias Ekholm and Victor Arvidsson and Victor Arvidsson. Well, not not in this. Not he's not further as close. down the road. Yeah, Forsberg and Ekholm are what two or th- two, three, two years, three years, I think. Two, two years for an extension, three years left on the contract. Yes, and I could see them saying, "Look, I know you." You caved on Matt Duchesne a little bit. You gave him some protection. You gave Roman Yossi some protection. What about me? I think Matt Duchesne cracked the door open. Like when when you look at the structure of Matt Duchesne's contract with the signing bonuses and the protection, that cracked open the door, and everyone's running through it now. Yeah, I mean, if it's you know, and even even if Matt Duchesne wouldn't have gotten those assurances, you know, I think Roman Yossi was going to be the exception to the rule, but. For as important as Matt Duchesne was to get under contract for the Predators, Roman Yossi is that much more important. It just feels like it feels like a necessity in today's NHL. If you want to keep your star players, you're going to have to give them. And protection. David Poyle has done a really good job of preventing that from happening for a very long time. I mean, when you think about the contracts that he's that they have that don't have it with Ryan Johansson and Ryan Ellis and Philip Forsberg and Victor Arvidsson and Matthias Ekholm, you know, good for him. You know, Colton Sissons, you know, good for him that. He's been able to do it for so long, but you know, eventually he's going to have to cave, and it's coming. It's coming right now. Adam Vingan of the Athletic. Our time is up. As always, thank you, my friend, for stopping by here on Preds Insiders. <laughs> thank you, Ryan. Next time, we'll have to do it off-site again. Yes, like we did last time, and we will do that again here soon. For Adam Vingan, I'm Ryan Poor. Thanks for listening to tonight's edition of Preds Insiders. Coming up next is it is the Rick Stockstill Show. Right here, ESPN 1025, the game.